Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christianity with compassion, conviction, and courage. My name is Peter Tragos, and with me as always is the pastor of Building 28 Church, Aaron Curran. All right, so I'm not going to lie. I don't know how excited I am for this topic today, but I it's a question that we're getting a lot. It's a hard one. It's a, it's a tough one. So, and joining us to help chat through this is my oldest friend in the world. Adam Powers. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the poet, the singer-songwriter, the multiple international music award winner, Nate Curran, with his uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mug. Cowabunga, dude. So. Yes. Yeah, Ardent Braves fan. Yes. Yes. So uh, anyway, thanks for joining us, Nate. Yeah, happy to be here. A man with his finger on the pulse, we'll say. Oh, yeah, def- definitely. Be- being Oof. being an artist in, in a lot of different realms, but especially in the musical realm, having played hundreds and hundreds of shows across the United States and really in different venues around the world over the last two decades plus, uh, he has – this is a very sensitive issue. I think for all of us, but particularly for you, Nate. Yeah, and so we want sure. to approach it in truth, but sensitivity – Courage, conviction, and compassion, as my fellow co-host would like to say. So we also have back on the podcast, without his tape today, Adam Superpowers Powers. <laughs> it's good to uh, be with friends. <laughs> pa- pastors uh, of Sunrise Community Church up in Newport Ritchie. Always awesome to have him on the podcast. So, good Peter, let's roll with this, man. So today we're going to talk about the pointed question of... And I'm I'm gonna change the way that that it's it was sent out to us originally. Sure. But is it a sin for a Christian to attend a homosexual wedding? Okay? okay, I think can they physically? Obviously, we can as Christians. But is it sinful to partake in that celebration and actually go to the wedding itself? And as we dive into the topic of homosexuality, let's talk a little bit about how, in the opinion of the four guys in this room, the church has failed the LBGT community as a whole. Because I know growing up myself, it was demonized and the worst of all sins and disgusting and hate and blah, 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 blah. And that's just wrong, right? As I've grown older in the faith and matured some, I realized that these are the same people as anybody else in the world. Everybody sins, everybody has shortcomings you still love them. You still treat them with respect. You still are friends with them. You still disciple them. You still, I mean, everything that you do with any other person, they're just people that we've elevated certain sins as Christians over time. And that's just wrong to elevate it over other things, right? I, that, that's my experience. What do you guys think as far as how the church has failed the LGBT community? I think it's failed in two ways. And I think the first way is the, the obvious way. The second way is perhaps a not so obvious way. The first way is we've done the Westboro Baptist thing. Right. Many Christians have, and they've made it the sin above all sins. So that it's kind of like the scarlet letter, like you're ostracized, you're kicked out, you no longer are associated with, uh, that. that's the usually the conservative error. On the other side, the liberal error perhaps is 
that we have not told the truth on this issue, sure. perhaps with compassion and conviction, like we ha- and like we should have throughout the ages. I think those are the opposite errors that most people kind of fall in between on a on a scale. Yeah, those are definitely. I mean, those are the two that I had listed out. Um, is this pretending that, and not even pretending. I mean, geez, if someone admits, well, we've been going through the seven deadly sins here at Building Twenty Eight, and of the seven deadly sins, almost all of them are laughable. Like if someone, if someone's like, "I'm a glutton," we can chuckle about that. Like we can laugh about that. But sexual sin is elevated, and I think it's because sexual sin is very polarizing in the sense of. It, you're either doing it or not doing it. It's not a, like somebody's, I've said this before, but somebody's prideful. They can, they can argue. I'm not, I'm just confident to where I'm, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, so, so a lot of sins are more ambiguous as far as nailing them down. Mm-hmm. But with sexual sin, yeah. it, heterosexual or homosexual sin, it's very, you're either involved or you're not involved. But I think that what is, what is troubling is that the church has demonized sexual sin above all others in our day. And in particular, if, if a guy came in here and said, hey, I've been sleeping with my girlfriend, I think the tendency would be to look at him as a to a lesser degree a sinner than if a guy came in here and said, I've been hooking up with with my boyfriend or with a guy. There's just a and, – and perhaps, if, if I might speak plainly, perhaps that's because of the – what Romans 1 would call the unnatural side of homosexuality. We understand it's against nature biblically um, that, you know, if, if everyone followed that that pattern of life or was born that way, there would be no reproduction. And so perhaps that's why we look at it in a certain way, but I certainly think the church has demonized those individuals to the point that that community doesn't want to hear oftentimes anything we have to say. Like you have to almost hide, not that we should, but hide the fact that you're a Christian from, from those of the LGBT community because they have been, they have been branded, to use that star, star letter terminology, they've been branded in the minds of Christians, of evangelicals for so long that they carry with them that effect like that weight. So I think we felt him in that. I, I do also agree that that in fear of being Westboro Baptist, we are unwilling to address what is becoming an increasingly large elephant in the room of homosexuality yeah. and all that comes with that, with the LGBTQA plus, you know, transgenderism issues and the Equality Act now that's, that's you know, it, it's very easy now to not step forward with conviction or courage but it's also easy to step forward with conviction and courage and lack compassion. For sure. Yeah. I mean, whew, it's such a weighty topic. Um, Cause as you, as you mentioned, you know, traveling around over the last 14, 15 years, doing close to a thousand shows met a lot, a lot of LGBTQ folks and people that I think this hits close to home for me because I don't just have acquaintances that are gay. I have, what I would call close friends, uh, people who have come out to me. Um, one of my best friends in Atlanta confided in me over a decade ago. She came out, I was the first person she came out to. Hmm. And so having these relationships, these deep-seated relationships, people that I would say that I love and care about on a personal level, not just a, a macro level, that, that I love these people, it's kind of where the rubber hits the road. Um, and so in ways that we failed, I, I can say personally, even myself, I think we failed to love as Christ loved, we've, we, as you said, as you both alluded to, we've so stigmatized homosexuality in the church, in society in general, maybe up into the last 10 years, that a lot of these folks, they're just feeling, they're oftentimes just looking for someone to care for them. 
to, to reach out and, and show support and compassion and empathy. And the church has just completely, in my opinion, the evangelical church by and large has completely failed the LGBT community in showing love and compassion in a, in a number, in a number of different ways. And one of the first things that comes to mind is I, I um, went to the Grammy Awards a couple of years and I think it was 2012 we stepped out of the limo and there was that whole group from Westboro Baptist there with all the signs, God hates, yeah, you know, homosexual slur. Um, and one guy got right up in my face. I wasn't doing anything. I was with the girl that I was with and we were on our way into, into Staples and he's like, you're going to hell. And I remember just stepping back and being like, man, you don't even know me. I'm a believer. And he looked kind of a, a guest and he's like, well, what are you doing at this event? And he's like, do you support, you know, used a slur. And I was like, man, you're not right. Like, this is, this is, this is why it's a, one of the reasons why the world hates the church so much. It's because of what you're doing right here. And um, I just, uh, I, I think we, sh- we could all show a little more love and compassion, both as a church, but also individually. Right. And I, I think that that's important. And I think something that's got to go across all lines, right? That well, we're going to talk about the biblical position concerning homosexuality, but I think the biblical position concerning people and everyone is to love them, care for them, be kind to them, be gentle to them. And I think that that's something we can't forget no matter who the person is, right? Somebody you're fighting with, somebody you hate, somebody you love, somebody that's a Republican or Democrat, gay, straight, whatever it may be, like you still should treat, that's the biblical position generally on how we should treat other people. Love your neighbor, right? Your neighbor is not just another Christian. So your neighbor can be anybody. I think it's important, everybody, to establish from the jump on, on such a sensitive cultural issue that everyone, all four of us in this room, everyone listening, watching, has conviction on these issues. It's not just the conservatives that have conviction on this. Right. If you're watching and you believe that, that homosexuality is fine and good, that's your conviction that you have that. And so whether you're a Christian watching who believes that or a Christian watching who believes it's sin or non-Christian watching, whatever you might believe, I think it's important to acknowledge we have convictions on these things. We need to be able to distress our convictions without getting antagonistic and hateful. And I think really importantly, we need to ask ourselves, why do I hold the convictions that I hold? Like, what is the basis for these convictions? If I believe that something is good, if I believe that homosexuality is good, if I believe going to a homosexual wedding is good, why do I believe that? Not just get mad at somebody who disagrees, mm-hmm. mad at someone um, who, who has more of a conservative or more of a liberal view, whatever it might be, but ask ourselves why. I think that's that's good for us. Hopefully, that will serve as a good foundation as we move forward today. No one in this room is sitting here in antagonism or hatred toward the LGBT community. I think we need to love them well, but I think loving them well, and and once again, we, we would say this with, like, let's use as an example, a friend who is, is a, you know, an alcoholic or drugs, and you're seeing them go down a path of destruction physically. I think all of us would admit that love is not just allowing them to continue to go down that path, but to speak truth into that and to call them away from that behavior. Mm-hmm. The argument would be made biblically that any sin that scripture defines as sin the, the most loving thing we can do is to speak truth into that and to call away from that destructive behavior, behavior that's destructive ideology that's destructive to their souls. Even if that's uncomfortable, that's the most loving thing. The most loving thing would not to, be to allow a cancer patient to continue. It would be to, 
to administer radiation chemotherapy to cut out the cancer, even though it's uncomfortable to preserve life. And so that's what we're attempting to go after today. It's certainly not sitting in judgment. We all agree that the actions, behavior of Westboro Baptist is sinful. It's wrong. It's anti-Christian, I would argue. But at the same time, we have to come down on truth. And so where is that? How do we lovingly communicate truth on this? Hopefully that serves as a foundation for us as we proceed forward. So with that being said, let's talk a little bit about the the biblical position concerning homosexuality and what, what the Bible says is how Christians look at this topic. So the first place we go to perhaps could be the book of Genesis, the first three chapters to see God's design in making man, uh, male and female in his image. He made them male and female. He created them. We could go there, look at divine intention. We could also go to after the fall of the world and to sin after Genesis 3 to Romans chapter 1, perhaps has been the largest hammer against this and a whole big list of sins in which is disobedience to parents is in the same list as well. Uh, but for me, I think the clearest place on this is Romans chapter one, where it, it says, uh, in refusing to acknowledge God as God, uh, man has thought they've become wise, but they've fallen. And in such um, falling, they go further and further into I think I would describe it as being smitten with their own image. They've fallen in love with their own image, with their own self. And therefore the result of this, according to Paul in Romans one is the homosexual sin. But then after that, it goes on into that whole big list, which is lying and disobedience to parents mm -hmm. and all these things that we, you know, wrongly uh, emphasize one over the other. But the biblical position, these are the places I think that we would go um, and I think we should go there because it gets more at the root of the issue rather than going immediately to something like Sodom and Gomorrah, something like that, or the sin of Judges chapter 19, where men of the town of Gibeah wanted to rape angels right. and things like this. Th those are, we can go there. Let's go to some other places first and uh, it, it might be a more fruitful discussion. And there's just multiple reasons why that your your last example is sinful, not just the homosexual part of it, right? I mean, multiple people want, yeah. I mean, there's about a hundred sins in that story that you can get oh, yeah. to. But oh yeah, um, Aaron, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, certainly Romans one is. I, I like to approach this. Obviously, we approach everything biblically, theologically, but I like to approach it philosophically as well, in the sense of how God created the world, perfect and natural, and how sin of which homosexuality would be included, according to scripture, is included. But like when we look at, Adam mentioned Romans 1. And so to conclude that final statement, like sin, sin is a downward trajectory away from the proper order that God has established for the universe to be governed in. And the ultimate trajectory of that is condemnation, ultimately. But Adam mentioned Romans chapter 1 with this, this kind of laundry list. And it's very convenient for us uh, in the 21st century as Christians to pick and choose, like I said, which sins are worse than others. And the Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, do you not know 
that the unrighteous, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, be not deceived, neither the sexually immoral, and that would extend to basically all sexual sin outside of marriage, the porneia is the Greek word, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. He kind of goes back and forth, maybe in his day, but particularly in ours, between the sins that are really bad. Oh, sexual immorality is terrible. Oh, idolatry, that's not that bad. Like I have tons of idols in my life right now that I worship uh, above the Lord. And then he goes back to adulterers. And we, I think most people would look upon that uh, in an unfavorable light. And then he says, those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, so the slanderers, the Robin gossipers, yeah, <laughs> nor swindlers to inherit the kingdom of God. And so what he does is, is Paul famously does this in multiple texts of scripture where he takes all the kind of convenient, acceptable sins of society, and he places them alongside the more demonized sins of society. And he says, these are all not the trajectory that God designed for people to live in. These are things that take us away from the Lord, that take us um, away from good grace, so yes, homosexuality would be one of those. Um, homosexuality is clearly stated as sin. People have tried, theologians and scholars, more liberal theologians, scholars have tried to justify, to, to make 1 Corinthians or Romans 1 say something that it's not saying. But it's impossible if we're faithful to the text to do that, just like it's, unf- it's impossible for faithful to the text for me to justify pride in my life, for me to justify gluttony. I see it all the time, like, like Nate and I, uh, we grew up in the South, and so gluttony was is something that is, I would argue, in the church celebrated. Gossip is celebrated, so it was so convenient. It, I was gonna say it was. I was literally about to say it was so. I, <laughs> how I many remember, tacos can you eat in yeah, one sitting? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How much pizza can we devour? Like, but I remember distinctly being at potlucks as a teenager and thinking to myself, this feels wrong when when people would be stuffing their faces and gossiping about all the real sinners in the community. You know, and to me, I think that's where we've erred is we have just accepted, truly accepted certain sins where it's almost forbidden to talk about that. I'm preaching about gluttony this weekend, and I know I'm going to make people mad because it's something that's forbidden to talk about almost because we've embraced it so wholeheartedly in the West. But it's like you said, I mean, it's easy for people to say, oh, yeah, I'm not a glutton. Like, oh, yeah, okay, potluck, big deal. I went to wing night and ate as many 25 cents wings I could in college. Like, that's stuff that people can brush off and think that mm. there's no repercussions really for that. Like, okay, it's a sin, but whatever, you know, listen to your sermon and be like, oh, roll your eyes at it basically. Sure. Or, or say that's not me, right? This I think is so hard because, especially in today's day and age, and I've got some friends that are Christians that struggle with same-sex attraction, but are not practicing homosexuality. And I talk with them about different topics, but it's one of the things they say is so hard is, your whole identity is pushed to be built around this and around yeah. who you sexually desire today. Yeah. That's one of the hard things. It's like nothing else matters as much as this to people going through this, right? So that's what's so hard. It's like a glutton, okay, fine. I'm a Christian husband, father, lawyer, you know, glutton's 73 on the list, whatever. But to people in this community, a lot of times that's number one on the list. So if you're saying that their number one on the list thing is a sin, how do you reconcile that as the church of thinking that's a sin and hating the sin, but not the sinner? Like we all like to say, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I go, going in there, I, I think that's such a huge issue for today. And it, it even butts up against what you said earlier, Aaron, about the posture we need to have when we come to this conversation, being willing to examine why we believe about ourselves, what, what we believe, right? And so sure. coming with a humble posture, we all want to say yes and amen. 
35 years ago, that worked, I think. Today, because sexual preference is so been aligned with identity and purpose and the self and the image of ourselves, I don't think that's possible anymore. So to say that if someone is a homosexual and that's a sin, for them to hear that, you're not only saying that's a sin, you're saying I reject you entirely. That's right, right. that's how they hear that. Right. And so perhaps a starting point, well, I'll just say we, we had, I, I had a Bible study in our church um, with four or five gay men up in Newport Ritchie uh, for about, I don't know, six or seven months. And after we got to know each other for a while, then the real question started coming out. Uh, why do you hate us so much? Why do you uh, call us out so much? Why do you do this? And we, we were able to have some really good conversation. And part of my questions is why do you identify so much with your sexual preference as identity and trying to push back against some of that and trying to say, hey, 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 I think you're wrong to do this. There's more to you than your sexual preference. That is not, though it's important to you, that's not your defining trait. Um, let's get into that. Let's look historically why that is today. And I think we can look back throughout the last many years and see, I think, just culturally how that's become just a given. And so though we want that posture, I honestly don't don't know how possible that posture is today. Yeah. And I think that's true across the board, right? Like if Nate cares more about music and being a musician than anything else, and that's his only identity is that he's a musician, that's problematic, right? And if you care about Nate and you have the relationship to have those conversations with him, you can point out and talk about why that's potentially problematic and why that shouldn't be your identity. That shouldn't be the only thing you care about. That shouldn't be the number one thing that comes off your lips whenever you meet somebody and talk to somebody, right? But it's so much more accepted today and nobody would care. Like if you came up, oh, I'm a lawyer, I'm a musician. It's like, okay, let's I think it's, cool. let's I think it's more talk. difficult if it's an issue. Like no one, no one's going to demonize being a musician. So that, that, part of your personality or character doesn't get lifted to an elevated position because you're not having to defend being a musician. You're not having to defend necessarily most of the time being a lawyer, right? Yeah. Um, but for the the gay individual, they're they're feeling attacked, particularly by evangelicalism. Um, but really all religions do this. Um, they have a, a negative view of homosexuality. And so I think that's why, if I may, like kind of to defend them a little bit, that's why it becomes so much a part of their person is that they feel like their person is being attacked. Like I have a lot of defining characteristics about me. If, if I'm honest, and we've talked about this on other podcasts and, and, but being, being white at times with everything we've gone through in 2020, being male at times with, with um, the issues around gender at times I'm, I kind of sit back and go, and why am I being demonized for this and this? And that causes me to identify more with race or gender or something when you're demonized about it than when you're not. Like if, if it's just, hey, I'm a pastor and I'm our meeting. Um, I was at a hair salon, get my hair cut several years ago by, <laughs> by a girl that was coming to the church. And so I went to talk to her about the church and about Christ. And beside her, one of her friends was gay. And I felt, and could be wrong, but I felt, uh, and then she admitted later, so it wasn't wrong, but that he was looking at me in a very negative and harsh light because he knew that I was a pastor. Therefore, I was on guard and my identity as a pastor was elevated. So I think whenever we feel condemned or judged 
for part of who we are, that identity marker is elevated. And that's why the LGBT community, I think, one of the reasons why they're so adamant about this being part of their identity that we are suppressing and so, denying. So then how, do you, how would you say to, to treat somebody that you think that's something that's so important and that they're demonized for and that's number one on their identity and you think the Bible says it's a sin, so we believe it's a sin, how should that affect the way that you treat them? Can we be honest and admit that we've kind of treated that as their number one marker of identification? Sure, more absolutely. Than, more than an, as an image bearer here's of one God. Of the questions so of how do you not created the posture But how do you not treat it as somebody's number one identity if they're making it their number one identity too? I think it's all, I think it's circular, it right? Is, I think it it's is as circular. a society yes. on both sides, we it all need to realize they're a complete person, just like I'm a complete person, just like you're a complete person, whatever it is. So I want to get to Nate on it, but I would say we treat them as an image bearer of God. Right, exactly. Just like we do with any race, with any gender, we treat them as an image bearer of God who God loves, who Christ died for. There should be no difference yes, in how we right. treat somebody based on whatever Absolutely. they're identifying as. I, I think oftentimes believers, um, they want to put the cart before the horse in getting people cleaned up before they introduce them to the gospel. You know what I mean? True, like, yeah. And so I've got a pastor friend in Atlanta in Decatur who's, I mean, it's one of the most liberal communities in the South. And all of his neighbors are super progressives, LGBT, people of color. I mean, it's a very diverse community. And he wrote a book a while back, maybe 10 years ago, and I read it and then talked to him a little bit about it. And uh, when he first moved in, to this house with his family, his little kids, the first people they met were their next door neighbors who happened to be a lesbian couple. And he's like, we had a decision to make. We could kind of be friendly and say, hey, but keep our distance and keep our kids away. And, or we could welcome this couple into our home with open arms and invite them to dinner weekly, invite them to events, work in the backyard with them, yeah. sit on the front porch and sure. talk about our lives. And he's like, we decided to develop a relationship with this lesbian couple where over time they just became good friends. And, uh, but I think it took time to bring the guard down of this, this couple that, oh, hey, this guy's a pastor. He's judging us for who we are, what we do, our lifestyle, everything, versus over time showing love and compassion and friendship. Just it's, think is why it's circular, right? I think it yeah. kind of is going both ways. Oh, it like is, there's for sure. these Absolutely. preconceived notions of how yep. we think the other person's going to be and act when someone's different from you or believes different from you. I mean, I think we know when the Bible tells us there's going to be people that believe all sorts of things. Not everybody's going to agree with us, but that is not, it doesn't say in the Bible, if somebody disagrees with you, treat them bad, you know, treat yeah, them right. differently if they don't agree exactly with how you agree. So I think that that's the first thing we all just need to be aware of as Christians when we get into what our liberty is around specifically attending the marriage ceremony. I think that's really important is just with everybody, we've got to break down walls, let them see God's grace and kindness and gentleness in us, in our relationships with them. And one thing I would like to add in before we move to the marriage component, mm -hmm. if somebody's watching or listening and they're looking for good resources on this, and Adam, you might know some. Yeah, but for sure. Sam, Sam, I think his name is Sam Alberry. Yeah. Um, he wrote the small book, Is God Anti-Gay? It's very helpful on this subject. He was homosexual, saved as a homosexual. Um, Jackie Hill Perry is another one mm -hmm. uh, with Gospel Coalition. It has some really good re resources. And then- Gay Girl, um, Good God. Yeah, Gay Girl, Good God. Yeah. She wrote that book. And then and then Rosaria Butterfield is mm. another one who was saved as a lesbian, um, is now the wife of Presbyterian pastor, is very knowledgeable, 
very philosophical, very biblical, and will help in these. And none of them are derogatory or condemnatory in the sense of demonizing the person. Yeah. Um, they want to speak to the behavior and patterns and sinful behavior um, that's there. And so those would be really good. The, all those links will be in the podcast notes underneath this. But I just thought pointing those. Adam, do you have an, another that you would? Yeah, just just what yeah. you you mentioned uh, Rosaria Butterfield. Her story is so wonderful. I think the the gospel comes with a house key. Is her yeah. book on yeah. hospitality? Yeah. Um, an unlikely convert, I believe, was her first book, where she kind of goes through her feminist, uh, lesbian background, being a professor, professor yeah. into a conservative pastor wife. <laughs> um, but no, one, one perhaps that gets at some of the roots of why the self is defined with some of these things. This is a little bit harder of a book to read, but if you work at it, you can get through it. Carl Truman's recent book, um, The Rise of the Modern Self uh, and the Sexual Revolution. Um, it just came out uh, a few months ago, and it's a good read to kind of get at some of the understanding of why we are the way we are today. Yeah. Very helpful read, I think. That's good. And I think it's important to point out that all these people that you're talking about writing the books, they were just not saved and then became saved. Yes. Right? Like yeah. anybody else, before you're a Christian, you're not a Christian. Absolutely. And then when you get saved, you're a Christian. And, and, and many of them acknowledge, uh, m- many um, acknowledge that my desires, I think there's just this fabrication of thought in Christianity that, okay, you just get saved and like your sinful desires go away, especially no. if they're homosexual. Like <laughs> right. they're saying like, that's not for a few people that's happened, but for a lot of them, they're like, that didn't happen. Like I had to, and desires themselves, I think James would conclude the desires being pulled away, being enticed. That's not the sin. It's acting upon those desires. Right. That is the sin. And so um, I think that needs to be stated just as well. Just like we all still have sinful desires, even yeah, though we're Christians. Exactly. Yeah, right? I'm I mean, a single dude. I have desires. Sure. You know, I have the desire to hook up quote unquote with chicks sometimes, you yeah. know, I, I find women desirable and beautiful and I struggle with lustful thoughts at times, all these things. Um, so having a gay friend that struggles with a desire to be with a man or, or a girl with a girl, it's no different than my desire in one sense of my desires. It's when I act out on those desires that I'm sinning. And, and I would, I would argue the same for them. And I think the conversations are very different if you have somebody that has homosexual desires and you have desires and you're both Christians and you're talking about desires and how you deal with them and you know what you can do, what's sinful, what's not. And somebody who's not a Christian, like, I just don't think you have the same conversations with a gay sure. person. That's not a Christian. Like you're just not right. You right. know, like you're, you're still loving them, but it's not the same, you know, judging a brother conversation as you would with somebody who's telling you they're a Christian. They want to work through this and try to do this, that, or the other. I just think it's yeah. different conversations. And I think sometimes people miss that boat, treat everybody like they're trying to be a Christian and coming down hard and condemning and bringing Bible verses and bringing the hammer when it's not necessary when you just meet somebody or, or right. just are building a relationship with somebody. Okay. So let's talk about, do Christians have the liberty to attend a homosexual wedding and why? Okay. So we've established that, that homosexuals should not be demonized but that also homosexuality is a sin, even, and this is this is where it gets more muddy because there are even some Christians who would say, well, it's a sin, professing Christians, or or even some who aren't Christians who would say it's wrong in the same way that a guy is wrong if he's just hooking up with different girls every night. If a guy, if a if a homosexual or or a lesbian girl is just hooking up with different people, that's wrong. But if they're in a committed relationship or in a union or in a marriage, then scripture would make allowance for that, is, is the argument. Now, I don't believe that, 
I don't believe that scripture ever makes allowance for it, but it does become more emotionally fraught with difficulties because you're looking at, you can look at a, a couple, a guy and a girl who are sleeping together and you can be like, you need to stop until you get married. And then you get married and you're good. You can't look at a homosexual couple and say that. And so there's there's a difference there. And that's a weight that they that they would carry that we need to be not accepting of, but understanding of um, for them. And so when it comes to a homosexual marriage, these are some of the issues that we wrestle with um, that are different than coming to a marriage that between a guy and a girl who we know they've been living together and sleeping together. And so you think there is a difference to unsaved heterosexual people getting married different than gay marriage? I do think there's a difference. I mean, I, will, I don't know how Adam has responded to this, but I've told couples, if I knew they were living together, hey, I'm not going to do your wedding unless you guys stop this activity before the wedding. And they'll they'll either not have me do it, which has happened, or they'll say they're stopping. I don't know if they are or not. Um, and so, and then I proceed forward typically with doing the, the wedding. Um, but I do think there's a difference. There, there is a difference. There is there's sexual sin. It's all in the umbrella of sexual sin. But there is a difference between homosexual lifestyle, clearly, that cannot be accepted even in marriage. And this is where I would land. And I know it's unpopular, and Nate might disagree, and others might disagree, and that's fine. But I think biblically, there is no such thing as a homosexual marriage or a homosexual wedding. I don't see that biblically. That bi like Historically, we have definitions of marriage and wedding. And biblically, I think we do as well. Now, would I politically be okay with a homosexual partnership or union or calling it something else? That's for perhaps another discussion. Um, but biblically, am I okay with calling this a marriage? I, I can't recognize that as a legitimate marriage biblically because I don't believe that the Lord recognizes that as a legitimate marriage biblically. And so that's one. It's it's heavy, but that's that's where I land. Where, where What are your thoughts on this? I agree. I agree. Um, call it a union. Call it whatever you want. Biblically, you, you can't call it a marriage because it's not. Because God was the one who created it, invented it, and defined it. And as soon as it goes beyond those bounds, it's no longer marriage. Yeah. Though it hits, I think, in our culture heavy, it's a simple thought. Yeah. And, it's, and it's easy, even if you're on the other side of this, if you are a homosexual, to understand that, why, why Christians believe that, because it's what the Bible says. Yeah. I mean, Nate, let me ask you this. Have you talked to, obviously, like you said, you have many homosexual friends. Have you talked to any that would say, I get that. I actually, I would prefer to call it something else because it's not, you know, because of the historicity or anything like that. Is there anybody like that? No, n not that I've encountered. There might be some out there, but you know, most of my conversations with gay friends and acquaintances and people I've met on the road or fans or whoever, if I've had those deep conversations, it's it, nine times out of 10, it's, it's been the equality conversation. Sure. Hey, you know, we should be able to do anything that you're able to do. And, and marriage is, is kind of the antithesis of that, that equality conversation. And, and where I come in with it, I, you know, for me, I probably take a little bit different view um, because obviously there's a biblical definition of marriage. There's a historical definition of marriage. And then there's a kind of a modern political definition of marriage. In the civil realm? In the civil realm. And so, you know, biblically, I believe 
this is my personal belief that the Bible teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. I don't believe the government should have the power to say, you know, this is this, that is that. If two people consenting adults want to do this or don't want to do that, it's probably my libertarian views shining through here. But personally, I believe if two gay people want to engage in something and call it marriage, it doesn't have to be a biblical definition. The church doesn't have to recognize it. We don't have to recognize it as believers, but I believe if they want to call it that, they should have the freedom politically to call it a wedding or a marriage or, or whatever they want to call it without being demonized or ostracized or penalized. Um, does that make sense? It, yeah, it makes sense. And and I would stand strongly against the cancel culture side and, and, and from the right as well, that if somebody says something or calls it a marriage, we're just cutting them off and canceling them. I, I don't I don't I don't like that at all. But I also believe that as we've talked about on this podcast and on former podcasts, we can disagree across boundaries. Like we can as Christians look at each other and say, I disagree on um, for, for me, that biblical definition. And I get where you're coming from. We've had conversations about this, obviously, um, that biblical definition would supersede and extend to the cultural definitions. And so just because the government, for me, says that this is a marriage, I wouldn't be able to call it a marriage. And that bleeds over into the struggle. And it is an intense struggle that I would have with attending a homosexual marriage. Like it, because I don't see it as a legitimate biblical marriage, and I see it as I see it as a celebration, even though I love these people, like I see it as a celebration of that which God has called wrong. It is very difficult for me to justify attending a homosexual wedding. I've got friends who have attended. I was talking to one last night. She's like, I've been to a homosexual wedding before, Christian. Um, we just had one on the podcast, a friend on the podcast. She's like, I would have no problem going. And then I've got friends who are very strong on the other side. And if I'm completely honest, I would love to hear from you guys because I kind of, I struggle through this. Like I wrestle through, especially if I can be completely honest. It's so easy. Things are so easy, hypothetically. Yeah, exactly. Like That's, they're so, they're so easy yeah. to be like, oh yeah, no, no, never. It's so much more <laughs> difficult if someone that I love with all of my soul is a homosexual, which I know you have very close friends like this. And even if I disagree and believe that that pattern of lifestyle, whatever that pattern of lifestyle might be, but let's call it, it's homosexuality. And I call it a sin. It's so difficult if they ask me, it's different if they ask me to do their wedding than to be in their, to like to, than to attend the wedding. But if they ask me to attend that wedding out of love for them, knowing that I don't affirm that, it's hard for me to draw this really strong, deep line in the sand. It's, it's, it's just difficult. And people can call me compromise, whatever. That's, that, is, that is difficult. If I were to think of one of my children, like, and, and they asked me that, that's a very, very difficult position to take. While it's not difficult to say, hey, Spurgeon and Evie Justin, this is sin. This is wrong. This displeases the Lord. It's very difficult to, to say, I will not. I mean, because then it also, if I'm honest, if I can just carry the conversation forward, it extends once they are married into, do I invite my a gay son or daughter with their spouse, partner home for Christmas? Or how about on trips and get them their own hotel room yeah. as a fit? You know, I mean, yeah, you know, like, like that. At that so point. it extends to, it's, it's more than just the wedding. Right. And that's what we're talking about today. But there's a lot there. And I think it's easy to dismiss. It's easy to just be like, no, like this is sinners again. It would be the same in, in a sense if my if my son grew up and it's not exactly the same. I, I get that. But if my son grew up and he became an owner of three strip clubs 
and he was living, clearly living a lifestyle pattern. I know it's or not what if you're just, exactly the same, but- What if Nate just wants a domestic partner who's a girl and you go on trips and exactly. he's your son yeah. and you're going to get them their own hotel? Like, I same mean, thing. you still have to make those same decisions. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a convoluted, very highly nuanced issue. Um, and for some people, maybe it's not. But for me, uh, if I admit it is, like when I really- so think through it. To push back a little and play devil's advocate, then let's say it, it, me as your brother and your your best friend since the time we were kids, let's say that I met a girl and decided to get married and she clearly wasn't a believer. Yeah. Let's say she was a Muslim. Would you attend the wedding for that, knowing that it's not truly a biblical so in that we're joined unequally yeah. yoked? So that's a really together? good question. Yeah. Um I would attend because it is a legitimate biblical wedding, even if they're not both Christians. So when unbelievers get married or a believer gets married to an unbeliever, I think that's wrong. I think it's sinful. I think um, Corinthians makes that very clear. It's sinful for a believer to marry an unbeliever. Now, if you're an, a believer married to an unbeliever now, it's too late. Like you made a decision. You need to stay in that in that marriage. Mm -hmm. But I think it's sinful. But I still think it's a legitimate marriage. So that's where it breaks down for me. I would not do that wedding. I refuse to do the wedding of a believer to an unbeliever. Like I won't do those really? weddings. Yes. Yeah, I've refused to do those. Unbeliever to unbeliever, no problem. Believer to believer, clearly no problem. Unbeliever to believer, won't won't do that. Clarification um, helps. Yes, um, but but it is a legitimate when a when a Jewish person marries a Christian or a Muslim marries a Buddhist. Like those are legitimate biblical grounds for wedding because between a male and female. Um, and so I would have I wouldn't have any problem attending that. I would have a problem performing performing the wedding. And you'd have lots of conversations beforehand, right? Because yeah. I've I have a close friend whose sister got married to a woman and they weren't going to go and their mom ended up not going and it fractured the relationship. And he had more conversations with his wife, with the sister, and they did end up going purely to support a sister. So she would have some family there because they loved mm -hmm. her. They didn't want to make her feel like no one loved her, that she didn't have a family because she was marrying a woman. So it's like all these kinds of difficult questions go into it. And I guess one of my, I want to hear what Adam says, but like one of my thoughts in it is, is there a way as a Christian to go and make it also a discipling or biblical or a stand for what you believe in and think where at the same time you're going to the actual wedding with your family member or close friend or whatever it may be? Is there a way to do that? The answer could be no, just, just asking. Cause I, I've had this conversation with quite a few people, especially with family members that they, that make the decision, like Aaron said, a million times harder than if it's like a friend from college and it's five years later and they're getting married and I say no. And, and frankly, I don't even have to say why I say no. Yeah. yeah. You know? And no one cares. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's sure a difference no between invite, wedding <laughs> being invited to a wedding yeah. that you're you're friends with someone who's friends with the, yeah. and you don't show up and no one even Six notices exactly. versus a family member yeah. or a best yeah. friend right. or a, yeah. where if they're going to ask you why not if you don't go yeah. it's going to fracture a relationship right or it's going to cause issues. I mean, the argument is that you have now forfeited any potential for gospel influence for the remainder of their lives. You know, and, and right. That's is, the is hard that, thing. Is that the line to draw? you know, without compromise. And some would say, yes, obviously uh, God's in control and God can, can fix that relationship and open up those yeah. doors again. But it's like, and I think as one of our elders who wrote an email about this said, like, that's where you make the decision. You hate your brother, you hate your mother and your sister compared to how you yeah, Luke, love Christ. Luke 14. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this could be an example of that. And by honoring God, 
that's the best way to keep the doors open and God can bring that relationship back around. And this can show your standing for Christ and what it means to make the hard decisions for Christ. That's the argument kind of on the other side is, you know, you stand up, you do what's right. You love them. You have the conversation with them. You tell them why you can't go, but that you're still going to love them. Still be friends with them. If they're your son or daughter or whatever, you still love them. Still do anything you can to help them. You're not going to ostracize them or cut them off or cut them out, but you give them the reasons why you can't go to the wedding. Right. That's the one side. And then the other side is, I don't think there's any side that's appropriate for a Christian to just go and be happy and celebrate and act like it's, you know, such a great blessing and you're excited for the future. I mean, I think that's a hard, yeah. Well, just let me, kind of let flew me, off my tongue, so I'm, but I'm I mean, a, I think a, that you have to at least acknowledge the issues you have with it biblically, even if you love the person and you want to support the person. So I want to, I'm going to take the will to the, of the bus for a second. This is really dangerous when this happens. It okay? is. But I know. Let's not forget Adam too. I want to get. I, I, well, I was going to say, okay. I know that Adam and Nate stand in opposition on this. Okay. Adam, Adam has told me, I'll let the cow out of the bag, that he would not, in his conscience, be able to attend a homosexual wedding. Nate has told me with close friends that he would. I think. I don't want to misrepresent. I would like to hear from both of you why. Why you would not. Why you would. Both of you believers. Both of you love Jesus. Both of you love the LGBT community. Both of you acknowledge homosexuality is a sin. No worse than any other sin. But why, why would you not go? Why would you go? If, if I may. So yeah. Adam. No, we can go there. Um, and then I'll give the wheel back to Pete before I drive <laughs> off the road. Yeah, I would, I would not go to it. And I would encourage other Christians to not go to it as well, simply because presence equals approval to me. Sure. And I think that last part of the sentence matters to me. I think Christians can disagree about this, but to me, being present at such a union uh, means approval of that union. I say that with the assumption that pe people know that if I'm invited to such a union, there must be a relationship that exists. And that relationship means if this person's a homosexual and I am who I am as a Christian and a pastor, that we have already had discussion about where we are on this and that part of my standing and part of the testimony of gospel grace is drawing lines in the sand sometimes. And this is one of those where I think we need to draw it. And whatever repercussions may come, um, whether it's somebody, one of our own children, uh, a close friend, family member, perhaps we don't see very often, I think this is the line that Christians have to have to draw. And I think it's becoming more and more apparent in our day. Nate, you, you mentioned earlier that some, some of the folks, you know, they, they just want equality. I would be of the mindset that that was about 20 years ago. And now it's not just equality. It's no, I, I not only want to be able to do what everybody else does. I can do that now. Now you have to approve what I do is right yeah. and correct. And so I think part of the Christian response in our modern day means we stand and we do not attend in grace and in love in so being that this is a testimony of what we believe that God calls his church to do. And so there's a lot of nuance there. There's a lot of conversation, a lot of relationship where that has to be communicated to. And I would love to have that conversation if I were ever invited to such an occasion. Yeah, I think love we talked about this a little bit, but love means affirmation so much of the time now. 
Like you're, and and that's not, that's not even a philosophical, historical definition of love, let alone biblical, um, to to affirm something that is damaging to someone, and that would be any sin. Once again, any pattern of sin. God forbid, in my children, like any pattern of sin, even the acceptable sins. And so that's a very important distinction to make. Like we can truly love somebody yeah. without affirming behavior that is anti-biblical. Right, Nate. Yeah, I mean, I can, I, I see what you're saying, and I respect that. I mean, obviously, and, and I have a lot of friends that would believe the same way, um, or you know, refrain uh, from the, from those types of things. And and I think the way that I approach it is the same way that I approach my relationships with LGBT friends and with any unsaved friends, which is a large portion of the people I know uh, from from being on the road all these years and and the industry that I've been in. Um, is I think we would all agree that every action outside of Christ is sinful. Uh, the Bible says, "What you know, whatsoever is not of faith is sin." And so, in my opinion, in my viewpoint, anything that unbelieving friends do outside of Christ is sinful. It's not Everything, just yeah. The, yeah. the homosexuality. It's not sleeping with a girlfriend. It's not greed or lust. It's the philanthropic actions that they perform. It's the good deeds they do for the community. It's taking their kids to the park. Everything that's not of faith is sin. Maybe that's a cop-out to some degree, but I think biblically, you know, looking at that, then do you engage with anything with unbelievers outside of the, the church? Because if if they're sinful, if they're sinning, if, you know, my argument would be, no, we love them. We meet them where we're at, where they're at. And so for me, without approving of a sinful lifestyle, but having the view that a gay couple should be free to quote unquote marry if they want to, politically speaking, um, I would not have a hesitation attending a wedding that I was invited to by someone that I was trying to minister to, develop a relationship with, love and support. Um, But in private, probably let them know that I did not agree with the action, I think trying to once again then change them or convert them without just in a lifestyle manner without going to the root of it uh, would be putting that cart before the horse again. And so that would be my justification or rationalization for for attending and support of friends that that wanted to be married. I think there's no doubt, there's no way around it, but this is really hard, right? I mean, I it's think very, it's, it's very it's, difficult. It's as hard as anything. It's it's one of the things I would have an issue with with Nate's is like loving the gay couple or loving, you know, I, I'm sorry if, if the analogies are poor that come to mind, but loving the the prostitute or the stripper or the, I mean, these are sexual manifestations of sin. Loving them is one thing, engaging in right. in a celebration of what they do. So so going to the hotel with the stripper and or with the prostitute in, in an effort to evangelize or disciple, that's where the line will be drawn. And so no one is condemning having a relationship with the gay couple. But when you go to a ceremony of a homosexual couple, there is typically an affirmation of I'm celebrating at least to a certain degree this. And I think that's what sets it apart. Because I do agree everything that's not a faith is sin. Um, our motivations are wrong, even when our behavior is right um, outside of Christ. And so, like, there there is something to be said for that, but connecting with them over coffee in, in a broken environment is different than going to a celebration of what Scripture would call wrong. And I think that's where yeah, the I think lines, that's the hard part. It's like, yeah. and I correct me if this analogy is wrong. It just popped into my head, like you're saying, it's hard to come up with perfect analogies. But like, if you have somebody that practices a false religion, 
that you love, that you're friends with, that you hang out with, whatever, that's your neighbor, or that's a Scientologist, whatever it may be, and you love them, you hang out with them, but would it be okay to go to the Church of Scientology with them? Absolutely not. Right. Right. I agree with you. but and I, and see, I, think- I, I would push back on that because I've actually gone to synagogue with Jewish friends. Okay. Um, I've been to a mosque. I'm not influenced by, I say that, I mean, I'm actually fascinated with Jewish culture and, and Judaism. And so going to, going to temple is a little bit different than maybe going to but a I church. I think it's also the reasons but- that you go with them, right? Like if you were going to go, if you were going to say, I'll go one time with you, you come one time with me or something is different than, you know, you going there and supporting it and approving it. Well, or let's, joining in, right, yeah. or joining well, let's say in, for instance, right. you have a Jewish friend and they invite you to their, their son's bar, you know, bar mitzvah. Right. Would you go to that? Would that be a violation of conscience, conscience to go and celebrate a ritual of a right into manhood that's of a different religious persuasion? So this brings up a very interesting, to get back to Peter's initial question, is it sin to go to a homosexual wedding? Right. And I think at least where I would land is if it goes against conscience, like with the bar mitzvah, if it goes against your conscience, you should never do anything as a believer that is against conscience. And I think for many, many believers, this would grate against their conscience to, to go. And I would, I would, as a general principle, be one of those that I could not. Once again, I don't, it's hard to make a blanket statement, not knowing what the future holds on something that is, is very nuanced. I'm never going to say that it's that homosexuality is, okay and right and good, but to say I will never attend a ceremony, a union, a civil union of a homosexual couple, not no. I mean, I, I don't think it is universally sin, if that's the question. Once again, you can ask lots of questions around prudence and should you, um, but if, if it's a it's, it's sin to go there, I don't think necessarily you can say it's sin unless it goes against your conscience. Well, we got to define what sin is, and we, we could go to many texts or summary statements and old catechisms and confessions like the Westminster Shorter Catechism, sin is the transgression of the law of God or the lack of conformity unto. Sure. And so it's either breaking an explicit commandment or not conforming to an explicit or implicit um, command of God. And so I think we perhaps would all agree that it's not sinful to attend such a ceremony that do do Christians have the liberty to do so? Yes. Is it wise to do so? It's where we disagree. And I would say no, right. because of what it entails. I think it would be a sin if you never had a conversation about it with that person that was getting married, you went and supported and said you were so happy for them. And you know, this is going to be a long God blessed marriage. And you know, that I think is sin. I think just totally going against what, what, you know, the Bible says is sin. I think having conversations, loving them, making the tough decision where you're going to support your sister through this hard time because the rest of your family is demonizing her and you're going to try your best and have this conversation and know and still keep a relationship open. And you make that tough decision. Then I think that's, probably not sin. Um, so I think that you can go and not go in sin and not in sin, yeah. which doesn't do a whole lot of clarity for anybody. No, listening. I, but I, like you said, a lot of it comes <laughs> down to conscience. I think you have to check your right, conscience. Exactly. You have, like before the Lord legitimately, not just like, and I think you have to stand excusing. up for God, like stand up for your yes. identity too. Right. Like, and and, and I think your care, identity in Christ, yeah. they got to know yes. that as well. And you have to bring that to the gay wedding. If you're going and, to the gay wedding, I think. I, I think that's so important because too often I've I've fallen into this at times. I think Christians, I'm not trying to universalize my my experience, but I think we as Christians can sometimes think that we're, we're the ones with the theology and the purpose to evangelize and to convert people to the truth. 
Well, so is the rest of the world. Right. Um, I, I remember having a conversation in college with a homosexual friend who believes now still, he's a minister in the United Methodist Church, that you can be gay and be a Christian. And we were talking, I was trying to convince him that that's not true. And he was trying to convince me that I was wrong. And in a sense was evangelizing to me mm -hmm. to convert me over to his opinion. Yeah. And so we need to remember that the truth is on the side with the church and we need to be convicted about the truth. But going back to what we said, I mean, the tagline of this whole podcast, it needs to be done with compassion. And so we can't, you know, err on either side of that. Yeah. Ideas have consequences. Always, always. I think that wraps things up for us today. I know we provided all clarity in the world. So <laughs> totally um, appreciate the listeners and appreciate, appreciate the questions. Superpowers. Mm -hmm. Good to be here. Appreciate my host and my brother being on the podcast. Until next time, folks. That's it. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about the show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.